All right. So I guess we're going to have to learn that verse in Isaiah. The law shall go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Right? Uh, we use that a lot, so we need, to, we need to figure that out. That's talking about when the nations will stream to Israel in the kingdom. So it's part of that, come let us go to the house of the Lord, to the, God, to the house of the God of Jacob. Right. You know the song, not the... All right, so um, I told you a few weeks ago that kind of my... I'm kind of stirring in my, uh, in my spirit. There's a, there's a number of uh, things that are going through me uh, at this point, partly because of what's going on in Israel, partly because of my age. I think I think what happens as you get a certain age, uh, random memories just start showing up, right? And uh, you got to figure out what to do with those. Um, and then partly because uh, I've been working with the Lockman Foundation on this new project that we've been doing, trying to uh, communicate the Bible in as close to accurate language as we can get to this next generation uh, that does not have the same vocabulary and does not have the same sense of history and all of that. It's uh, an interesting process. Um, Going through it, I've gone through the Gospels and I kept, when I was in Luke, I'd go, oh, that's a great sermon. I need to do that. Then Oh, there's a great server right there. So I thought, well, I need a series of lessons from Luke, you know, kind of thing. Um, And then uh, uh, Trevor and I began to talk, and I said, you know, with Advent coming up, could could do a series coming out of Luke because Luke begins with those very important births of John and and of Jesus. So here we are. We're a week before Advent. Uh, and I'm going to begin a series on the book of Luke. Uh, the book of Luke is categorized as a gospel. We'll talk about that in a minute. Our Bible is a collection of sacred books, uh, often categorized as the Older Testament and the New Testament. Um, I think that's in some sense unfortunate. Maybe we should talk about the Hebrew Bible and the Greek scriptures. Um, Maybe that's a better way of looking at it. The foundation of all the scripture is the Torah. And it's accompanied by the prophets and the wisdom literature. And that makes up the Hebrew Bible. The Bible that's written predominantly in Hebrew. The apex of biblical revelation really is the the Gospels. And the Gospels include Matthew, Mark, I put Acts with Luke, so Luke-Acts. And John, if I were organizing them in an order, I would probably start with John like the Eastern Church does, uh, then go to um, Matthew and then go to Luke uh, or Mark and then to Luke Acts to kind of give a five book uh, collection. Uh, would be difficult because people would not know where to find those books if, if we did that. So. These are the stories that tell us the life and work of Jesus. They're accompanied by the epistles, written mostly uh, 
a group of them to early Jewish believers. So the book of James, First and Second Peter, the book of Hebrews, uh, the, the epistles of John and Jude. And then the epistles of Paul that are written to the churches in the diaspora, many of whom he, he started, that contain both Jewish and Gentile believers. And that makes up the Greek scriptures. So we have in this set of Gospels uh, several books. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because unlike John, there's a large amount of material that overlaps in those Gospels. And it's created two approaches for people to try to put them together in a harmony, trying to put the exact life of Jesus and the order that he said everything uh, in, in order. I think that's, in some sense, not possible. The other problem is that it's created a uh, difficulty for Christian traditional scholarship uh, that is struggling with what do we do with modern scholarship that looks at these texts differently. They actually uh, see the Gospels as one creating the next one. So the problem of the nature of the relationship between the Gospels. Did Mark give rise to Matthew and Luke? Or is Mark a condensed form of Matthew? Uh, There's a lot of discussion about this. And part of it is modern scholarship has to figure out a way to explain literary development. Um, I I don't fit into that camp. I'm very familiar with the camp that looks at the Gospels that way. Uh, I look from a more traditional theological perspective. I do believe that Mark, Matthew, and Luke have a common source. But I don't think it's the cue of modern uh, theology. I think it's really the oral teachings of the apostles themselves. Because in my study in anthropology, I've got a great respect for the ability of ancient peoples to maintain oral traditions as literal as they could, and then writing them down. So I think that the tradition behind all of the Gospels are the Apostles. I want to talk about that in a minute, but uh, first I need to talk about authorship. Luke doesn't put his name at the end, signed Luke, right? But the united view of the church is that the gospel is, is entitled Kataluka, according to Luke. The gospel according to Luke. And Luke's identified as one of the companions of Paul uh, for two reasons. One, in the book of Acts, the author keeps saying, we traveled. And Paul makes it clear through his letters that Luke was a very regular uh, participant in his works. The big controversy is whether Luke is a Jew or a Gentile. There's early testimony in the church fathers 
that argues that Luke was one of the 70 sent out by Jesus. He sent out the 12, then later he sent out 70, and that Luke was was one of those. If that's true, then Luke is certainly Jewish. But for most Christian scholarship, Luke is the one Gentile author in in the New Testament. I think that there is evidence in Luke and in Acts for Luke's Jewish identity because he has such an incredible knowledge of the temple. And he uses that and his knowledge of the priesthood, particularly in the opening chapters of the book. There have been recent scholars, and I've had conversations with some of them after reading their materials, that seem to believe that Luke also wrote the book of Hebrews. We know it's somebody associated with Paul. And the theme of that book is telling Jewish believers to hold to their faith because it is based on the Torah but has a better promise. The promises that are yea and amen in Jesus. Well, if that's true, then uh, all of the New Testament is written by Jewish people. The scriptures came to us. They did not come from us. Another controversy when you do these studies is, when was this written? And many traditional scholars, because they don't want to claim that Jesus actually predicted the destruction of the temple, put the writings of Matthew and all of these others late after A.D. 70. And in some cases, for a while they had John uh, in the 200s. Then they found a copy of John in a sarcophagus that was buried in A.D. 125, really indicating that that gospel had been around quite a while by the time it's being used in a burial. I believe, as uh, some of the more traditional scholars, that all of the Gospels were written before the um, fall of Jerusalem. I think if they had been written afterwards, there would have been some mention of that. And there, there is only the prediction by Jesus that not one stone would be left on a stone. So I put the Gospels somewhere in around uh, at least Luke's Gospel and Acts uh, in the late 60s leading up to the destruction of the temple. One of the things that Luke's Gospel is useful for, and all the Gospels are, is lectionary value. Because in the same way that the Torah is read in Judaism traditionally, week after week after week, a year after year, a very early tradition began to read the Gospels in a lectionary sense as well, systematically in the churches. Uh, now that adds a problem for modern evangelicals and non-denominationalists because often they are more familiar with Paul's writings than they are with the Gospels. I have often said that many Christians should call themselves Paulines. 
because they really follow Paul. Now, they're following Paul as Paul follows Christ, but the reality is uh, we need to step up to the front of the line. The, the focus of Paul's teachings are the teachings of Jesus. And so we need to, we need to make them our guide. I'm going to urge you to make a habit of reading the Torah and the Gospels every year. If you can't do that, do the readings that we put out every every week. That will have you go through the Gospels in every three years and the Torah every year. And of course, you'll pick up parts of the epistles and parts of the prophets in that context. So what's a Gospel? A Gospel is a story of the narrative of the works and the teachings of Jesus. The word means good news. And it really has its origins not in the Gospels, but in the book of Isaiah. But I don't want to go to the book of Isaiah yet, so let me ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at a few verses here quickly, and then we'll look at the beginning of Luke. Uh, And then we'll really hit the ground running next week as we begin Advent. And I'm hoping that you will be reading ahead in Luke, maybe reading through Luke. Uh, regularly, because I hope that you will have some questions about it that you will send me by email ahead of time that the text triggers in you. And then, of course, at our Q&A, it's usually what I say about the text that triggers the questions. I'd like to get get both of those uh, in that context. So in Luke chapter 4, verses 14, uh, Jesus has been baptized. He has been in the wilderness, he now comes back to begin his public ministry. Verse 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news, the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and everyone in the synagogue had their eyes fixed on him. And he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We know from this context that what had happened is in the synagogue, they had read the Torah readings, and when Jesus was given an aliyah to come up and read, he was given the scroll of the prophets. Uh, of Isaiah. And he went to the half Torah portion for that, that week and he read this passage. He didn't read the entire passage. I'll save that for when we get back to this in the section. But he was clear that what the good news is, is not just about individual salvation. It's It's really about the restoration of the creation, the care of the poor, the release of captives, 
all of those things that are about, about the kingdom to come. Not just about individual salvation. I think this is particularly important as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the war in Israel and the release of the captives that have been taken hostage there. So, we finally begin the text. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is a very long chapter, so I had to get this first part out so that next week I can try to get as far through there as I can. I want to keep the rhythm of it going. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth of the things you have been taught. Now he doesn't identify himself, but he does tell us why he's writing and to whom he is writing. I suspect... After the resurrection, there were a lot of discussions about Jesus, about what he taught, about what he did. I think probably in the early believing community, there were people who actually were fed by the five loaves and two fishes. There were people who had been healed. There were people who had heard him speak either the Sermon on the Mount or the one that's recorded in Luke, sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. And they told their stories, their experiences with Jesus, what he had said and what he had did. I also suspect there were a lot of stories that were rumoring about around Jesus that were not true. Some like the one we find in Matthew chapter 27 verses 11 to 15 that tells us that when the guards came after the, after the resurrection they were told by the chief priest you tell them that you fell asleep and that the disciples stole the body while you were asleep. And Matthew tells us that that story was still going around at the time that he was writing. So There was a need, and I think God intended, to place the four Gospels into uh, the church's hands through the writings of these men and the Holy Spirit for the purpose of us knowing what Jesus taught. Luke wants to make it clear, and he wants an orderly version of the things that have been handed down to us by those who were with him from the beginning, clearly indicating the apostles. And those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. The word there is logos. There's not many commentators that want to tie that to John's use of the word logos, but I'm not sure that it's that far away from that. They are ministers of the word. They're ministers of the word of God. The Logos. 
Luke claims that he's invested, investigated these things from the beginning in order to write it in an orderly and sequential uh, form. So we probably have a closer chronology of the events in Luke than we may have in the other in the other gospels. Now Luke addresses this to a guy named most excellent Theophilus. That term most excellent is a title that's given to nobles or to officers or people of renown. And so it's likely that this person is a significant person. The name that he's given is Theophilus. Now this is Greek. And it means a friend of God. Or a lover of God in the phileo sense of affection towards God. I don't know how common that name is. It's clearly done in Greek here. So the question is, who is this person? The same name is used in the book of Acts. And so a lot of people, a lot of commentators, believe that what this is, is a simple generic term for a believer. Abraham was a friend of God. Believers are a friend of God. This is basically written to anybody who's a believer. And it is, uh, in a sense, a catechism. I don't think that's likely. In fact, uh, I think the gospel can be used as a catechism because he's certainly saying, I'm writing down the things that have been handed down to us, but I think it's more than that. As it turns out, the scriptures tell us that many of the priests believed and became obedient to the faith. That's found in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the same writer tells us that many of the priests, after the resurrection, became obedient to the faith. They became believers. We often think that Jesus was rejected by Israel. He was rejected by the chief priests and much of the Sanhedrin, but not all of them. Nicodemus... And Joseph of Arimathea were members of that council, and they were believers. And at the end of Acts, James tells Paul when he arrives that there are thousands of believers in Jerusalem, and they are zealous for the Torah. There was a strong remnant of believers who were Jewish Torah-observant believers in the temple period after the resurrection, as a result of the testimony of the disciples. This was not some scattered group out there. This gospel was centered there. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. It gets established in that place. Now, this is the part that I get a kick out of it. I was talking with Rabbi John Fisher. And he uh, was talking about a book. And then we got to reading the book and talking about it. There are some Jewish sources that give genealogies and lists of priests and high priests about the temple period time that we're talking about.
And it turns out that one of the high priests at this time was named Theophilus. Now you say, but that's not a, it's not a Jewish name. None of the deacons in Acts 6 had Jewish names. They all had Greek names because there had been a large amount of Hellenization of the Jews. You had Jews that were Hebrew speaking and Jews that were Greek speaking. That's why over the cross of Jesus they had in Latin, Greek and Hebrew Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many, many of the Jewish people read the scriptures in the Septuagint. Much of the quoting in the Gospels and Paul's letters are coming from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Torah that was done before Jesus came. So there's at least a possibility that this text originally was written to a high priest to convince him of the things that have been handed down and that would explain why Paul why Luke goes into so much detail regarding the priesthood with Zacchaeus Zacharias I mean and the temple uh, process that was going on both in the birth and the dedication of Jesus and if he wrote Hebrews it's clear that he was making a case for Jewish believers not to fall away from the faith because we have convincing uh, material handed down from the apostles. So I think there's a lot to examine in this book if we look at it potentially within a Hebraic context rather than a Greek context, which most of Christian history has done. And I'm hoping that you'll read it and that you'll let the text say something to you that you say, I haven't seen that before. You know how that happens. You read a text and you go, I don't remember seeing that again. And I've always noticed when I've gone through Luke that Luke does some little twists of emphasis. I don't believe we have to harmonize those. Many of you were in my classes and Dr. Lewis's classes and you know that we talked about the same subjects in more than one class and when we did, we said it in a somewhat different way because we were emphasizing something different. That's not a contradiction. We, we have the recording of the versions and the variants that probably Jesus used when he taught these things from synagogue to synagogue and then brought together with the authors by the Holy Spirit under inspiration. So I think this can be an exciting uh, trip for us to go through Luke in that way, not trying to harmonize it with the other Gospels and not trying to look at it as written primarily as a catechism to Gentiles, but to see it as written to somebody who is versed in Judaism who is understanding of the temple system and who writes these things with a focus of Jerusalem and the temple in mind. So I hope you'll uh, put a little energy and effort into it uh, as well as I will. Let's pray.
Father, you have given us all of these scriptures. And it's clear that the gospels are not redundant as much as they are nuances. Nuances of that which is part of the incarnation of your Son. So Father, we ask as we enter into the Advent season, we look again at John the Baptist's birth and the birth of Jesus, texts that we're very familiar with, Lord. And yet, we become somewhat accustomed to them and don't actually see them. So give us new eyes to see and ears to hear and curiosity to want to know more of what your spirit is saying to us through these texts. And help us, Lord, not to vary from what you've intended, but to understand it more fully and be convinced of the truthfulness of these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Any Q&A?